0: Welcome to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissaf, and this is RFI Group's insight-backed podcast focused on key trends, thought leadership, and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. Continuing on with our Money 2020 Europe coverage, this episode features a number of interviews from day three at Money 2020 in Amsterdam. Guests include Ricky Knox, founder, Tandem, Victoria Bateman, Managing Director, EMEA, RFI Group, Gela Boskovic, Founder, Femtech Global, and Labesh Patel, CTO and Chief Scientist at Jumeo Corporation.
1: Ricky, so great to be talking to you at Money 2020 in Amsterdam. Tell me how everything's going. How are things attending? Tandem?
2: Oh, it's fantastic. Well, first of all, great to see you. Thanks for inviting me on the, on the show. We've had a fantastic year. I've actually got a Press release that hasn't been released yet. We've saved a million pounds for our customers since we launched, which is we've saved them by switching utility bills, by getting cash back, by reducing foreign exchange fees and charges that they're that on their spend abroad. So we're super excited about that. You know, we've always talked about being a sort of customer champion bank, and now we're actually delivering on that promise and really going delivering what we call customer lifetime benefit for our customers.
1: Absolutely, the acquisition yep. of Harris Bank.
2: Yeah, that was great. That's gone really well. So we bought Harrods Bank on the, we closed the transaction on the 10th of January. And by March 15th, we had it all integrated. Um, And so the business, we now run what was primarily mortgages and savings accounts all on the tandem platform. Team have betted in, they're in our offices in Kings Cross. Doing really well.
1: That's fantastic. Love to hear it. So you've been here for a couple of days. Tell me about the big sort of trends and themes, things that you're seeing or have seen in Amsterdam while we've been here that have, I don't know, excited you, made you think that's quite cool?
2: Yeah, well, one of the big shifts, obviously, this year versus last year is, while last year, you know, blockchain was a was a sideshow, but you know, it's very much moved to center stage. And, and, you know, I think there's still a lot of cynicism out there, mm-hmm. but I see, like I'm sitting down with VCs, you know, and, and other guys, they're saying that we, we absolutely path to be on this. This isn't something we can let ride for another year or two. It's going to be huge. And it's just a question of identifying business models that are going to to drive the future for you. Awesome.
1: Latest companies and ideas coming out. I love that you've raised that. Obviously British Bank and and from the UK. Yeah. How does Europe compare? And what what are some of the the key nuances you've seen in the European market that pique your interest?
2: There is a European challenger bank as well, digital challenger bank uh, in N26, which is which is, is really exciting. And actually, I think we're seeing a shift where I would say, and if you look at sort of venture uh, capital dollars invested, you know, the UK is still 10x, uh, you know, the other European countries. But Germany is a strong number two and it's expanded significantly. And I think if you were to look back 10 years and look at, at the venture landscape, well, there wasn't a lot of really tech businesses being built and, on the continent. I think you know Skype was a huge success story, obviously originally out of Sweden, but really out of the UK. But then there was you know there was a real dearth of heroes, and I think the, the tech scene in Berlin uh, and also the tech scene in, in, in Sweden is really feeding a whole new generation of European champions out there.
1: Oh, it's exciting to see deep pockets in the UK, and we, we've actually spoken to Sebastian from Klana and Matthias from. Fidor, so exactly the markets that you're pointing to. Where do you look for for innovation? Or where do you think that there's some interesting, different things going on?
2: Look, I mean, when you're talking about innovation, disruption, slightly different sides of a coin. But if you're, um, yeah, overused buzzwords. Yeah, yeah, I just use them. Yeah. But but one of the interesting things is, you know, retail is just a lot further along that curve than banking. And so when people ask me questions like, oh, you know, are any of these challenger banks, can it be any of any size? I go, guys, well... Look over the, you know, over the fence at Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there were definitely a lot of naysayers in nineteen ninety-nine that said there's no way this bookseller is gonna be mm-hmm. anything big. And, you know, but to be fair, the bookseller's done pretty well. Yeah, So I think it's interesting to look when your people talk about what's the market structure gonna look like in the future. In mm-hmm. banking, for example, you know, obviously you have a lot of different forces in terms of regulation. I think that's probably pretty indicative. You've got some huge digital champions are doing really, really well, and and really crossing national borders as well. In addition to some of the old players that have made the leap, I think it's really interesting looking across different industries that are different stages yeah. and and trying to pick up what's uh, what's happening and what has happened historically in one one industry and apply it to others. Yeah.
1: And what's been working for them? What is the next twelve months look like for you?
2: Uh, we hit hundred thousand users last Monday, and. Wow. And I was looking at the numbers just before we we came on air and uh, I think we'll have another announcement uh, reasonably soon on on that front. Um, So things are going really well in terms of growth. This year is mainly about customer acquisition for us, uh, also about improving the product, saving more money for our customers.
1: Awesome, well the the passion just comes out of you. My last question, we're at Money 2020 in Amsterdam, circus theme. If you were to be someone in a circus, uh, a performer of Sorts in a circus, who would it be?
2: Probably a trapeze artist. Okay. I enjoy heights. There's a lot of options there. Yeah. I
1: don't
2: know whether you know, awesome. sort of comedy, strongman, clown. I yeah. Mean, you know, we've uh, had a we few can, clowns. Yeah. A really <laughs> hey,
1: Ricky, thanks for the chat. Really great catching up with
2: you here. Great to catch up. So thanks Thank a lot. You.
3: Thank you, Victoria, for joining me today on the podcast. Hi, Scott. Very welcome. So I'm joined by Victoria Bateman, Managing Director for RFI Group, who has literally just come off stage at Money 2020 Amsterdam from the Lion's Den stage. And you were talking all around the hype around digital only, which mm. is hugely relevant uh, in the UK. You've got massive brands such as Starling Bank, Monzo. Uh, And then you've got the likes of Revolut and N26 across Europe, all of which has representation here at the event. So, is this hype around digital-only offerings justified? What are the customers thinking around the world?
4: The hype around digital is absolutely still ongoing. So, I touched in my presentation on what the current landscape looks like um, and the trends in digital usage and digital banking more broadly. And we can see that continuously increasing, in fact a huge uplift that we've seen in the last. Uh, six to twelve months is around daily digital usage and so consumers are absolutely starting to uh, bank digitally with significantly greater frequency than they saw previously and we're also seeing some big shifts in terms of the profitability of those consumers as well. Mm -hmm. That said, although fintech uptake is still moving upwards. The pace of that change is definitely uh, slowing down yeah. and we started to see some big shifts in terms of comfort from consumers overall last year, which is when we first started you know, putting out there this suggestion that the digital hype is coming off the boil because trust as a commodity for banks is still absolutely essential and that's something that's continuing to, to increase in value. Mm.
3: So you've sort of mentioned the difference between banks and fintech offerings, digital-only players, and here we have so many different types of organisations. If you're looking at the last 12 months, you know, versus when we were uh, in Copenhagen at Money 2020, how have you seen the big change in terms of consumer perceptions of these different brands across the ecosystem?
4: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I think... It's so much more now than just fintech versus banks and particularly with new legislations like PSD2 in Europe and and Open Banking which has just been introduced here in the UK and also across a number of other markets so we need to think about trust in all of these broader players and potential players Um, and one of the key findings from this latest research that we've done is that banks still absolutely have the edge in terms of trust but we are starting to see some distinct differences in levels of trust by age groups. And that's particularly uh, here in the UK where we've just done a big deep dive study into the potential outcomes of PSD2 and open banking. Um, And one of the key findings there was that younger consumers actually trust Amazon and PayPal to keep their information secure more so than they do their banks wow so that's a a huge shift in that market and Mm. if consumer behavior will be dictated continuously by who they trust then we should potentially be concerned about what what those two big players might do Um, and that could potentially be the, the big shifter in terms of financial services
3: Mm. and you mentioned around open banking and PST2 which has been central to the conversation here at Money 2020 this year what are some of the other key themes that are coming out of the event that have really interested you or excited you
4: I think just the sheer breadth of coverage that the the event had it was absolutely huge and just covered so much across the whole ecosystem of financial services. So of course all of the European players are very much interested in open banking and all of the different services that could come out of that and the potential partnerships. Asia is still massively interesting I think for everyone around the world in terms of what's coming out of those markets. And it was really good for me as well to see such a great representation from the likes of the big GAFA companies. So great sessions by Amazon. Uh, Apple
3: as well absolutely and thank you for sharing a brief overview as to what you spoke about Uh, I know there was huge interest lots of murmuring within the audience Mm. when you mentioned um, around Amazon and PayPal sort of attracting those younger consumers really interesting Mm. and we're finishing off all our interviews for this uh, special series with a question around um, the circus, which is the main theme of the event this year. So if you or RFI group were to play a role in the circus, what would it be?
4: Well, I have obviously had the advantage of knowing that you were asking this question to all the people that you've (laughs) interviewed. You're not
3: supposed to reveal that, Victoria.
4: (laughs) (laughs) To all the people that you've interviewed at Money 2020. So given this some thought, then my conclusion is that I would be a fortune teller. Oh, nice. Why? Because... RFI Group specialises in evidence-based insights, which can help our clients predict the future of banking.
3: Lovely, so you've got that crystal ball that everyone needs. (laughs) All right, thanks for joining us today, Vic.
4: Thanks, Vera.
1: Della Boscovich, so amazing to talk to you today at Money's Most 20, 20 in Amsterdam, the third day. Tell me about how it's been for you.
5: It's been absolutely manic. They've really put me to work, which has actually been fun. It's been a full day yesterday of identity, of customer centricity. I'm actually commercializing both of them. And we kicked off the morning actually debating dumb pipes should banks actually accept their fate as dumb pipes and had an amazing, unstructured, crazy fist fight on stage of sorts, verbal fist fight. What was the outcome? <laughs> Yeah, sexier pipes, not dumb, just sexier. Because you still need the pipes, right? We need the pipes. Well, actually, foundationally, absolutely. I mean, and there's utility there. It's just a matter of finding a new business model. Is it best to double down? Or do you try to actually own the entire stack? And frankly, it's impossible. You're the capital, you're the architecture, or the, the framework. Or the user experience, and you can't have all three. So where do you play?
1: No, you, yeah, exactly. So you, so it's it's for everyone to find out. Big fintech players. Yeah. You've been a part of the money yeah. twenty twenty family for a number of yeah. years. How have you seen it evolve yeah. over time? And I guess what's really punched out this year? That's are, are we stepping ahead?
5: To a certain extent, it's some of the thinking. Yes, we are. I think there's some interesting constraints now from regulation that actually force us to think differently. Privacy is going to be a major, major concern, not just in context of what's been going on with big data and some of the breaches and and that sort of context, but actually privacy as a concept is incredibly new. It's the first time it's been codified in legislation. Now, how do we actually start looking at this as a deliverable? And what I mean by that is how can we commercialize privacy in the right way here within the industry? And can we actually start to help customers manage their permission sets around their sensitive data? So there is a commercial model there. There's also a fundamental need in the industry to provide a consistent basis for identity across the spectrum. Mm. Uh, The notion of mobility, the notion of uh, multiple delivery channels and omnichannel, cross-channel, you have to actually be able to manage identity and authentication at every single transaction. Mm. So how do you do this in a mechanical way? But how do you actually make this the value-add that you provide your end customers? And at the end of the day, banking is not actually banking as it will be tomorrow. So what is the fundamental model? We move money, we make money, it's all about the money. We spend money. We spend money, oh, for sure do we yeah. spend money. But it's not necessarily about the money, it's about the permissions that's around that and what we enable people to do with their, their capital. Mm-hmm. So, different contexts and conversation.
1: Absolutely, the, the Facebook Cambridge Analytica <sighs> scandal, that's really played a huge part of
5: this, hasn't it? It's been a big, I guess, a big topic of conversation here, and onto your security yeah. piece, it's so relevant. But it's just, interestingly enough, we knew it was coming, I mean, this is absolutely another right? So it shouldn't be a shock and surprise. But we've been talking about identity and privacy in that context for a number of years now, but haven't actually moved that conversation forward. I think GDPR has forced us to really examine what this looks like. And the complexities of PSD2 in terms of the authorization and the authentication component absolutely demand that we solve for this particular mechanical problem. But it can't just be mechanical, it actually has to be commercially driven, and then it has to have a proper value added service level to it, or degree of service. What does that look like across commerce, across government, across digital footprints? How do you actually make that a like, consumer? Exactly. Yeah. And considering we're starting to use alternative data sets to look at credit risk or risk alone and, oh. and the right types of products from people, those sort of personal sense of data matters actually feed into our new risk models. We have to be cognizant of how we treat them. We've heard from some of the biggest traditional banks here.
1: We've heard from the likes of Mindy Direct, HSBC, BBVA, so many of the big traditional providers. Are you comforted by what you've heard from them? Do they really know what they need to do
5: to step into that digital
1: play and and really service their customers in the best way? Let's put it this
5: way. I don't think anyone has the answer. And at the end of the day, it's it's an identity question in terms of what are you to the market? And banks have a number of different functions that they can serve. So as an institution, decide what you are and stick to what you are and stick to the vision that you have for your future, irrespective of what your peers are doing. And I think the conversations are starting to be had, so that's very encouraging, but I don't think anybody knows what they are. Uh, I don't think know what, know what even know what they want to be. And sometimes I don't think consumers are actually giving them the right feedback of what role they want to play. There's been a blurring of the lines between some of the major, uh, the, uh, the big tech providers and the commerce providers, and banks being the underpinning transactional service. Customers don't even know where banks belong in that sort of equation, and sometimes I think banks have a doubt as to where they should be playing. I know where they want to play, but where should they actually do it? Where's their best competitive advantage? And where do they actually bring the best service to the customer? Some of them are still exploring that option. Again, it goes back to the capital or the infrastructure or the customer journey. And you pick one of the three and you double down. And I think that's one of the challenges is no one is yet committed to being singularly one of those three.
1: I love that. I mean, that competitive advantage, identifying and knowing what to go
5: after, it's such an
1: amazing point. Founder of Femtech Global, you're a huge influencer in the female in fintech. Um, I'm one of them, and I'm and honored yeah. you know, to speak to you. Tell me about your
5: passion and drive behind that, and are you pleased with what you're seeing at the moment? Yeah, this is a hard question, because there are changes, but systemic change is going to take a long time. What actually matters to me is the individual recognizes where their best contribution is, irrespective of their gender, their race, their background, their education, where they come from. That everyone has something to contribute. And putting a team around the table, or putting an industry around the collective table, and actually allowing people to have the voice to share their insights and their perspectives so that we can debate and discuss, mm-hmm. and we can actually dissent and have those three critical D's show up for the conversation where we arrive at a better solution. To me, it's about, yes, the people that are around the table and the, the composition of those things and their, and their experience that make them who they are and their insights to what we do. It's not just a census box sort of checklist. But the challenge is is there isn't representation of the market that we serve that's sitting at that table. And therein lies the problem. When we design products, we have a singular myopic view based on our own experiences. And we're not getting challenged that we actually are designing something that's relevant for a wider market base. So I think we're failing our customers in that sense that we're not actually including people who represent them or who can actually provide insights to represent that demographic in the wider conversation. So there are some changes. I see them at the individual level. And what I mean by that is people are starting to change some of their language around how they talk about inclusion, that they're actually making a quiet, concerted effort Mm -hmm. to do differently. So what I'm really encouraged by is the individual change. I'm starting to see it in how people talk about inclusion, how they actually make the effort to acknowledge an idea that was uh, someone who's considered a minority in the industry, be it Mm -hmm. racial or, or gender. That They actually contribute or attribute the idea to that person that they're backing people up and acknowledging where the insights are coming from. And I think it's their own micro-behaviors that actually will start to make like, a bigger impact. So I'm seeing evidence of that, and that's highly encouraging. Yeah. Absolutely. It,
1: encouraging. I mean, as, as you say, you know, it is it, it is the customer that we serve, and it's the population. Surely we need to be making products that suit everyone. Now, finishing on the question we'd love to ask everyone, Money20 mm-hmm. in Amsterdam, circus theme. If you were to be in a circus... What
5: would you be in the circus? Ooh, this is the challenge so I could be pyrotechnics because if I can light it on fire I'm gonna yes explosive uh, <laughs> I like. yes you are you are if not there the ringmaster appeals but I'm not the ringmaster I'm the ringmaster's boss yeah behind the scenes oh okay. behind the scenes I'm the director I'd love oh, yeah. to do that
1: running the show running, running the show, the show. Love it. Gella, thank you so much for your thank time you, it was it was pleasure. To you. thank you Chloe thank you
3: Sarah said here and joined by LaPesh Patel, who's CTO of Jubio. So, thank you so much for joining me, LaPesh. Thanks a lot. And uh, you're here over from California as well, so you've made a bit of a long trip for Money 2020 this year, which is fantastic. So a big topic that's coming out of the event, which I know is an absolute area of expertise for you, is artificial intelligence. So Mm -hmm. we're seeing AI all over the agenda. Is this hype around AI justified in your opinion? And how do you play in this space to make sure that you're winning?
6: So as far as AI is concerned, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of hype around it, but there is something about it which is absolutely true. And the reality is the manifestation of AI that we are seeing right now is narrow AI. It's about looking at the problems and the workflows which already exist and how we can tune them to be better. I think from a media perspective, when we talk about the artificial general intelligence, right, that muddies up the water quite a bit. Whereas when you're looking at AI as just another tool in your toolbox to make something 10x better, 10x faster, where that something is decided by you as a human, in that context, AI is extremely powerful. We are doing that on a daily basis at Jumia. That's what, at some level, my everyday role is, is looking at all the different parts of the workflow of identity verification. So for people who are not aware of what Jumio does, we are in the business of establishing trust online. Uh, We have human experts also. Now, what human experts are able to do is they are able to augment the machine intelligence. So humans become better by learning from the machine, and the machine becomes better by learning from the human. And I think that interplay, that hybrid interplay between man and machine, I think that is the most powerful thing coming out of this whole AI fact.
3: You mentioned that digital identity is really your area of expertise at Jumio and what you're specializing in. From being at this event, have you seen a massive shift in focus on digital ID? And do you think there is a wide enough understanding in the industry yet of how significant this is as a focus point?
6: At Jumio, we are seeing digital identity in very localized markets, like Australia has come has come up with government pass, etc., But in general, when we look at the whole worldwide market, there is a very, very small percentage of municipalities and governments which are going in that direction. So you are absolutely right. I don't think the understanding of what this is all about is there. There are some states in the U.S. where the entire concept of digital ID is just having a picture on your phone. Just in California, right, we have more than... 50 types of driver's licenses because of different subtypes. Now you multiply the combinatorial explosion of 50 states and like 160 countries etc etc. now everybody coming to one standard that's going to take a lot of time.
3: And with PSD2 and open banking such a big topic here in Europe, do you think that's going to help the progression of digital identity or is it going to potentially make things a bit more complex?
6: I think with PSD2, the conversation around PSD2 and now GDPR and digital identity, I think that complicates and muddies the water, definitely. And I think the basic concept behind GDPR is absolutely amazing that you citizens' privacy and their personal data need to be protected. But there are so many unintended consequences that are happening, even for the currently existing ways of doing identity. It's uh, incredible the kind of challenges that a regulation such as GDPR uh, brings because the machine learning that we do now needs to be completely flipped.
3: Well, thank you so much for shedding some light on that. It is a complicated space and we can see the amount of companies here that are starting to move into this space. There's a lot of noise uh, and it's great for you to really cut through that and give some explanation. So thank you so much, Lepesh. We'll just close off with a, a fun question as it is circus theme this year at Money 2020. What would you say yourself or Jumio's role would be at a circus?
6: I think our role would be ringmaster and there are all kinds of wild animals that are out there coming and trying to take over our customers' accounts, etc. We need to make sure we are between the customers and the lions, right?
3: Brilliant, thank you so much, Lepesh, for joining me. Absolutely, thanks a lot, Sarah.
0: We hope you enjoyed our Money 2020 Europe coverage this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, global digital banker twitter at gdb podcast or on facebook under global digital banker podcast if you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode email us at gdb at rfigroup.com